Instagram, that's just on Instagram. Right. Okay. So I figured anybody uh, can join on that. <clears throat> but so what was your question? So my question was like, how, how do you think, like, what do you think your audience is? How do you get the word? I have no clue. <laughs> that's, a, that's, what's, that's what's hilarious uh, is I've, I've actually been talking to people about this yeah. and I don't know how to even know. I can tell that people are going on my website, you yeah. know. Um, word of mouth, like some people have actually said to my face, like, hey, I've been listening. Yeah. They don't go much beyond that. Really? They say, I've been listening. And then it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, I, and I don't usually ask like, oh, did you like it? Because yeah. normally they'll say, oh, yeah, I've been listening. And I like it, you know. Yeah. But listening is, uh, is all the support at this point, you know, that I'm kind of going for. But, yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know who my audience is. Which leads me into my announcements. Okay. My initial announcements. Go ahead. So uh, the I'm gonna do another Panhandle podcast meetup in January sometime. I'm gonna shoot for a Saturday, and that's kind of what we're testing out here. Is a live like so if if we were just doing this and not just on the camera, we were like broadcasting it with some speakers. Would people want to do that, or like would it be a nuisance to people? Or, or could we like I hope I hope to create a live event right. around podcasting in Amarillo. I personally think once again it would be just an interesting thing that you know might annoy some people if they're trying to study, but mm-hmm. it's just like an interesting cultural activity happening in Amarillo right. that you don't usually think about or hear of. You know? Yeah, well, and that's I mean that's one of the things that's cool here is there's a lot of people here doing their own thing, but that's one of the reasons I've kind of thought about maybe doing it like a place like Crush and actually making it an event. So anyway, for the update, the announcement is the Panhandle podcast meetup is probably, I'm going to try to make it happen in January and I'm going to try to do it on a weekend, like a Saturday. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's another reason I'm kind of thinking maybe do it at Crush because Mm -hmm. that way we can maybe do the back room and have, I'd like to have a, we talked about uh, Pedigo. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Pedigo? Hay- Hayden. Hayden Pedigo? Yeah. Anyway, this dude's awesome. And I actually, you put us in contact and mm-hmm. I reached out and talked to him a little bit. And um, I'm hoping like maybe get some local musicians who are actually badass right. uh, to just do like a little opening something or another. Uh, and then make it like a drink a couple of beers, do a little podcast, hang out. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. So anyway, that's well, what I'm, I'm kicking around that idea for January. I think if you had the topics uh, kind of picked out well, I think it'd be interesting because then, you know, whatever comes up in that conversation, then it's great fodder for conversation after the right after the event. You know? Yeah. So yeah. maybe it gets like for instance, do you think aliens are real or not? It depending on the guest that you ask, that can take. Like my last guest, I uh, had James Arredondo on okay. in my last episode. And uh, he's fun to talk conspiracies with, cause he'll like he'll humor them right. enough, right. like suspend his disbelief enough to where you can talk about like the reptilians that maybe are controlling the world. Right. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. have you ever run into a reptilian? I've heard of that. No, I've heard about no? it. Okay, I don't. So you- I don't know. I've run into one. <laughs> But that's all part that's of their boy, right? Yeah, that's part of later uh, talking about Burning Man. If you've yeah. run into any aliens there, uh, sort of, yeah, yeah. Sort all right, we'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, uh, maybe do a live show. Maybe do this or that. If people are paying attention or care, then let me know on Facebook, and we can organize an actual event. Like I can't. I don't want to organize an event for myself. 
because I'm I'm easy. I could just go sit at the bar, drink a beer by myself. That's no problem. Yeah. But if I'm gonna have thirty of my closest friends there, then I gotta plan appropriately. So, yeah. Anyway, that's that's that announcement. Next race team, Strava race team. I, I changed the name of it from the Panhandle Prime A Spartan race team mm-hmm. to just race team. Okay. Cut it short. Yeah. But anyway, I'm thinking I'm looking to how to make a Strava group to where people can just hop in the. My, the group and be mm-hmm. part of the team okay. and I don't know what that entails yet how many team members are you looking for? as many as want to join Okay. I'm thinking no how many real, compete? Just, how many compete? yeah I think all of them compete if oh, you wow. want to compete you know okay. it's like hey you want to do a 5k right. all you have to do is run but sometimes it's good to be within a community of people like encourage you totally because that's the thing man is what's really fun whenever you get two or three of your friends on Strava, mm-hmm. you see each other's runs and then you comment. And then right. you, so you get a comment from somebody that says, Hey man, like that, that was a good run. Like right. you're doing good. Like keep it up. You know, it's right. like a, a good way to get like some external motivation. Sometimes yeah. it, going running is not like the first thing you want to do. But then if you can like commodify it for your, for your enjoyment, enjoyment of your friends. Yeah. Hey, let's do that. Then, you know, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so that goes into hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, my website, email. I would love to hear from whoever, um, people from the podcast, people from wherever, man. And, and people that don't even like my podcast. I mean, I'm trying to, I'd like to do other things that have nothing to do with my podcast. Just, just podcasts in general, you know? Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you're open to constructive criticism as well as like praise yeah you know i it's funny because starting a podcast i expect nothing but like criticism you know like my uh my family's always been fairly honest and like upfront and will tell you that your idea is stupid or like what do you do you know like kind of it's like a lot of questioning just just from the get-go yeah i don't know what you're doing dexter but uh, it's been fun so far, you know. So yeah, I'm glad I, I I am open to all forms of just like even criticism. At least you're responding. So right. I'm like open to any form agree. of response, you know. Yeah. Uh, I've never had somebody say something to me and it made me cry. So I'm not too worried about that. Yeah. No, that's but, good. Um, I think that's a big need. I mean, when you're because. I think you're really at the piloting stage, and so you really have to be open to feedback. And some of that feedback's not useful at all, but some of it might, you know, change your mind in certain ways of doing things and oh, whatever, yeah. and open you up to like how to. It's so hard to figure out like what a market wants, you know. Yeah. And it takes a lot of testing to get there. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It's definitely a. Uh, it's like a. You're trying to find a slot, and that's kind of what I feel like. I just want a little slot in somebody's day, you know. Um, and it's difficult to find that man. It's difficult for me to open it up. Like I, I'm listening to podcasts all the time, and if somebody like suggests a good one, like hey, you've got to listen to this. Yeah. Um, I kind of like look at them, I shake my head, but it's like I'm probably never gonna listen to that man. I'm like behind. I'm behind in the yeah. stuff that I love already. So it's really hard to ask people like niche out like a little section. Um, I know. But and you actually had to ask me to listen to my podcast. Because uh, I, I, we recorded it and I kind of forgot about it, but then you asked me to do it and I was like really glad I did because, I mean, 
<clears throat> I guess it's great that the two of us like our own podcast, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it was just fun to hear, you know, a whole conversation recorded and also that I could search for it on the whole app and find it. You yeah. Know, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And then to see everything else you've done. Yeah. So it was cool to do that and think like, oh, hey, that's something that we created in Amarillo. Right. Because um, I feel like we're, we're big consumers nowadays. We're not as much of producers, you know? So it's yeah. kind of fun to produce something. Yeah, it, it is... That I, so this is actually the most difficult part. Like even coming in here today, I would talk to any of these people face to face. Yeah. But the second that you close a door and then you set up a microphone and it's like we're going live, everybody. Now this moment means something more than it did five minutes ago. Yeah. You know, it's uh-huh. like it's it is strange, kind of uh, like when you talk about production. It's like I feel like that's with anything creative that you're trying to put into the world. It's like you always. Like, you have to hit this moment of, like, uh, what's the right word for it? Like, resistance, almost. Okay. Like... To break through it? Yeah, you know, you know, whenever you're nervous, like, if you... Right. Like, if you really want something to be good, right. and then you put it out there, and half the people are like, eh, mm-hmm. eh, that's mm-hmm. all right. It's not great. It's all right, you know? Yeah. Um, that's, like, the getting over that hump is, I think, the hardest. I mean, it took me two years to post my first podcast. Wow, yeah. You know, from like starting, I mean, I started wanting to do one like early 2015. Yeah. But then there's like all these different stages of progression where you have to be like, no, that's stupid. No, that makes sense. No, I want it to be this way. No, I want it to be this way. And then finally you're like, well, I just got to start it. And you hate it. No matter where you start from, you can plan, plan, plan. You're still going to hate it because it's not going to be anything until you like start producing it. You know? I know it is funny how there's so much resistance in so many ways to producing things. At least personally, like I, but I find like even when I want to do a drawing or a painting or whatever, like I might be really self-critical in the beginning stages. But then as I start to work on it, even if it's kind of you know half-assed, I still kind of like it. Mm-hmm. It's just fun to create stuff, mm-hmm. even you know. And then, but it, so- it sounds like you've kind of refined it even more. Um, and. Yeah, I mean, I think it's sounding better and better. So it's just you get better at the craft. I yeah. Think, you know? Well, and, you know... Uh, or get more comfortable with yourself as well, like, oh, on, yeah. the, on stage. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, speaking to a microphone, that, I think that's why I've, I've had, like, some part of every podcast where I'm, like, pleading with the audience, like, hey, just let me know if you're listening to this. Right. You know, like, I'm spending right. a lot of time doing it. Yeah. Not too much time, and it's enjoyable time. Yeah. But it's kind of like at the same time, if everybody were to be honest with me and say, look, dude, you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You need to stop. It's like, <laughs> it's like you always hope that they tell you that early enough to where you haven't invested so much of your time into this thing, and it's like, hey, dude, you need to quit that. You know, you need to you need to move along. You know, pursue something else. But I've gotten the opposite response. I feel like so far, yeah, I've gotten a lot of encouragement, and um, it's funny. Like I live in such an encouraging uh, community. Like just my friends and you know family, even uh, and all my coworkers and everything. Everybody's pretty pretty encouraging. That's and, great. Yeah. So it's it's funny because I don't feel like like success to me. I said this on one of my other podcasts is like at the Panhandle podcast meetup, like mm-hmm. six people. I, I was thinking only six people were going to show up. Yeah. Like plus me and my wife. So four people, you right. know, um, and then ended up being like 16 people showed up. Wow. So like my, my expectations were exceeded, but I could have set my expectations at 25 and said, the only way that this will be successful is if I set it at 25. 
And then whenever I only had 16 show up, I would say, wow, I was nine short instead of saying I was like 10 in the positive. Sure. You know? um, but anyway, that's it's kind of like little mind games like that when anytime you're producing something, I think anytime you're producing something that's going to be a standalone product that other people are then going to like critique. I mean, that's the thing is you, am I open to criticism? Yeah. Well, that, that's like everything in life. You're going to be critiqued on almost anything that you do by somebody, you know? Well, and I think that's, I mean, that's a kind of deeper question that I've even struggled with a little bit is how to be, I mean, we're in Palace Coffee right now, and obviously, you know, it took yeah, Patrick a while place. to kind of place. get to the point where he could produce something and be okay with putting himself out there. And Man, and so consistent. Yeah. That's what's crazy is all of the locations are so consistent in feel, you know? Right. They don't feel like it's franchised. It feels like each kind of spot has its own, like, authentic uh, spin on it or something. It's pretty cool. No, I agree. Like, consistent. I mean... But, but like, in terms of the sort of entrepreneurial mm. pursuit, um, I think the more that we can be open as a community to uh, <clears throat> supporting even failure, but supporting trying stuff and supporting production, um, and also, I think, as a community, kind of be open to critique and, and new ways of, like, constructively trying to help people grow their ideas, I think we'll be a lot more thriving. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, all right. So we that gets us through our uh, announcements, I think, right? <laughs> That's through our announcements. Yep. Art takes two to tango, so let's start dancing. Okay. I've written that little tagline. Okay. So my first thing is the intro to Timothy Ingalls. So I don't think I've even introduced you yet in this recording. We're uh, 14 minutes in. I don't think. Sure. But um, just like a quick like. Uh, the the like four minute rundown of what you think is like relevant about your uh, that's uh, okay um, well I would say I'm definitely a work in progress I think probably if most people are honest with themselves they're gonna say that as well um, I my family my great grandfather um, purchased a ranch outside of Amarillo, part of which became Amarillo, so that's sort of my reason for being in the Amarillo community. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I am currently helping to manage that ranch um, and trying to sort of reimagine new ways to manage it. Um, Otherwise, I'm kind of a spiritual seeker and an idea kind of person. you know, enjoy aesthetics and art, things like that. And, um, yeah, really just want, like, a thriving Amarillo community and want a life full of friends and fun and business and pleasure and all kinds of things. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. I don't know. Well, and, and so this is one of my questions yeah. is Amarillo, a lot of people have talked and Amarillo is very much a, like a black hole of sorts. Yeah. Like, you can escape, you know, you escape to a certain point, but then you always get sucked back in, and, and like, it's almost like a, you know, it's your home. You, like, come back to it right. again and again. Over, it could be over 20 years. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm never living in Amarillo again. Right. In 20 years, it'll get you back, you know, like, right. splashes you out. But what is it do you think that people resist about Amarillo? Well, I think in some ways we should be, we should be... Like, there's certain people who always say, you know, I, I don't want to say anything bad about Amarillo. I want to only think and say positive things about Amarillo. But 
in some ways I think we should be more open to criticisms about our city in general because but not in a negative not in a just destructive way but in a, a way that tries to open it up into asking like well what are the things that we really want and need in this community um, so <clears throat> I think your question was what what do we need as a community and I think each person would have their own interpretation of that um, I think one fundamental issue, uh, which is sort of a personal one because I live currently outside of Amarillo, is we're just kind of a spread out group of people. I mean, yeah. everyone can live within 10 minutes or within an hour and still kind of call Amarillo home, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think it can be hard sometimes to really feel like you have a cohesive community um, that you can meet up with outside of just like having to specifically make plans with people to meet up. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, you don't yeah. run into people uh, in certain ways. So I think that's one issue. I think, um, you know, the forces of nature here are pretty intense. Dude. Wind. Well, yeah, you know, that. that's <laughs> what was really cool about uh, Pedigo's album, man, yeah. is it's like, it's really difficult to explain to somebody who is not on the high plains, mm -hmm. like... I actually feel like this last year has been really nice weather, but it might be that I just got used to Amarillo. But like, there, it's it's not unlikely for a gust of wind to come through Amarillo and like shake my house. Yeah, totally. that happens on a regular basis. I, I lived out in North Carolina. Yeah, and those days were like once a month. You know, yeah, this is like once a day. Right. You know, typically you get hit with like, I mean, it's windy as hell here. Really you know, is. It, it is a force of nature, and you know, we don't have. Like you were talking last podcast about how, so since our last podcast, I went up to Denver and oh, yeah. uh, visited with my sister. Nice. She lives up there now. And at one point I was like on a run and I could see the mountains in the distance, right? But it was remarkable at how similar my experience was to running in Amarillo. Hmm. Because it's just running on a sidewalk. Right. Like I have this like thing off in the distance, but it's not like I'm running in the mountains. Right. And that's one thing that I think is interesting about the wind is the wind grabs you where you're at and right. like actually physically affects you all yeah. the time. So in yeah. Amarillo, you're being not, it's not through your sight that you're being affected. You're being physically pushed it's and true. tugged. And, you know, I mean, it's crazy. That's a good know? point. It's like a visceral interaction with nature. Yeah. Like it's like a tact, it's a, it's a feeling thing, you know, yeah. like you feel it all the time. Well, see, I really think, I don't know how this is going to come about, but I really think there needs to be some reinterpretation of the strongest wind city in the country, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's through art, if that's through, you know, I still want to try, I've heard of it, I haven't done it, but I still want to try like board sailing, you know, where people take Ooh. a skate, a, a modified large skateboard like. with a sail wow. and take it out on a pasture. But there's got to be ways to turn this... It's a permaculture idea. Other areas think this way. You know, turn a bad into a good. Yeah. And there's got to be ways that we can reimagine. Well, yeah, it's, it's a reinterpretation. And, and make that, not, like, the coolest part about it. Yeah, because yeah. Because it, right now, it, it really can be a bitch sometimes. Oh, dude. Um, but uh, <laughs> some people like to call it the... You wind, yeah. You know I mean, when yeah. you walk outside, it's just like... <laughs> yeah, it is. It's right in your face, But there's got to be a way... Uh, I think, you know, to really make it like a point of uniqueness yeah. and uh, kind of celebrate it. I don't well, know. and that's that's one thing I was going to say is, uh, man, it is kind of cool being like in a live spot, you know? Everybody's yeah. kind of going around doing their own thing. Totally. I, at one point in time, I had this like, 
I was trying to work on like a short story, like a post-apocalyptic short story. Yeah. And I was like trying to imagine, like let's say everything took a crack, mm-hmm. and we went back to where it's either animal or wind, or yeah. like animal or element or man-powered, like a wheelbarrow, yeah. you know. And I was thinking about the tumbleweed, and I was thinking, how cool would it be if you could build these like large tumbleweeds mm-hmm. where you could strap everything to the walls, and when you were ready to move, it would just roll. <laughs> so it would roll with the wind. So you just migrate with the wind, you know, and you'd have different ways of like steering it or something. And I was just, totally. uh, and you can make it all mechanical, and it'd just be powered by the wind. So like you'd have these uh, people, because like it makes perfect sense to be nomadic. On the high plains, and people that have lived in this area know because, like, sometimes there's a there's an area that's 20 miles away, and it's getting all the rain it could ever need. Right, and you're sitting 20 miles south, and you're not going to drop. So it makes sense. Go to where the water is. You know, like be migratory people. But it's just with the, um, you know, I feel like uh, Chris Ryan Mm -hmm. who wrote Sex at Dawn. Yeah, uh, it, it it's kind of an interesting thing civilization has to plant you it has to say you're not moving like farm you kind of you right. know you like treat you like a resource almost. Right. whereas a hunter-gatherer pre-civilization mm-hmm. uh culture would allow you just to roam like you you go where you need to go kind right. of thing you yeah. know as a people and as a person and yeah. all these things you're free you're kind of a free individual once right. you're in civilization you're a little bit more you're hammered down you know you got taxes and paperwork and right. you know loans and debt and whatever well that's like, the gift and the curse of the idea of private property you know yeah oh yeah i mean in these other civilizations i think maybe there's a territory you know maybe but the people just sort of roam throughout that area mm-hmm. their homeland and now it's like <laughs> that's my section of land and that's your section of land yeah. and this is my house and this is you know yeah it's interesting because a lot of i mean you'd say it's it's pretty easy to say okay that is necessary you yeah. see how some people live, and it's like, okay, it's necessary for each per. And I think it's healthy, like, societally. I, I even think that those, um, those hunter-gatherers, they had an idea of, like, personal property. It yeah. just wasn't physical. Hmm. So, like, their personal property is, like, more about the space around them and their vision of who they are, you know? It was less materialistic. So it was... So they still had the lines and the they still had the fences up, hmm. you know. It just wasn't a physical fence. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I I think they operated more communally. I'm not sure, but I mean, I, also I think it depends. We'd have to maybe define certain cultures to really dig in. But that's true. Um, I'm, I'm definitely talking way out of my expertise level. I've. I have no cultural anthropology or anything like to back up anything that I'm saying. But I do like to throw things out there. No, sometimes. it's good. Yeah, you have inspiration, which is useful. Um, but I, no, I think like I was, I remember reading somewhere like where, or maybe this is a, a podcast, I heard this actually, where in that tribe, for example, uh, if people would hoard objects, they were considered kind of psychologically unhealthy. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so generally, you know, the idea was, yeah, you'd have some of your personal property, but then it was kind of a joy to be able to give that to other people. Right. Um, and so then it was also a sort of form of social ostracism whereby, you know, if, let's say, you were sort of a hoarded individual, then... A, you might have some hardship at some point, and then people would be less inclined to help yeah. you. 
and um, B, you just sort of de facto be maybe not as valued or not as esteemed in the society. So in that way, I think the, yeah, they sort of help to overcome some of the problems that we've had with, you know, nowadays, I mean, in our society, it's kind of everyone wants to build up their savings and have a retirement and all these things, which I think is also a, a virtue in its own system. But at the same time, I think, I don't know, it, it, it leaves something to be desired commun communally. Yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. Well, what's funny is as you were describing that, yeah. what I started thinking about in my head was like my group of friends freshman year of high school. Mm -hmm. The exact same thing, like this uh, almost like pecking order, natural ostracization, okay. and like all of these different like almost social games yeah. do naturally start happening. Not, not even that they're unhealthy. Okay. Like they start happening in healthy like groups of friends. Okay. Like people start positioning themselves in different spots, and you know who your resources are. You know, hmm. and if somebody's an asshole, yeah. you're gonna stop hanging out with them. Right. Like, dude, you can only be so much of a dick. Right. And you know, before we're just gonna like stop seeing you. You right. know. Yeah. So everybody has these lines in the sand drawn, and as a group, you can cause a lot of damage really i mean like that's the thing is as a freshman high school kid you can yeah. cause a, you can do a lot of work i mean we we used to roll people's house like toilet paper roll somebody's yeah. house mm -hmm. and dude we probably ran in that one night like eight miles you know and it was all for a goof you know like yeah. i don't even it's like dang you just need to figure out how to harness that like you know yeah. the the damage and turn yeah. it into something I don't know. I think a little. I think a little adolescent destruction is kind of par for the course. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like part punk of the music. Punk music will always exist. Mm. You know, no matter how cool the civilization gets, like the punks could start running civilization, right? And there would still be an underground group that's like, oh, right, old people. You know, I mean, that's just natural. Yeah. It has to happen. It's like actually one of the beautiful things. Like, I don't think everything about civilization is ugly. I'm actually opposite. I think. I think that we project good and evil. Mm. So, like, I don't think anything is just, oh, right off, like, rap music. Oh, it's evil. No. No, it, there's a thousand different types of rap music. And saying rap music and dismissing an entire group, I mean, that's that's lazy, right. you know? Mm -hmm. um, oh, dang, I might have lost where I was going with that. I was, I was jumping some bridges. Yeah. That one got away from me. But... That does lead me into the next question, which is Burning Man. Oh, yeah, Burning Man. So I don't have much experience. I have no experience personally with Burning Man, but three of my favorite podcasters, Aubrey Marcus, Duncan Trussell, and Chris Ryan, mm -hmm. all went this past year. Okay. And they all had completely different experiences. Oh, really? Like, not necessarily bad sure. experiences, but they just had different experiences and they interpreted it a very different way. Oh, interesting. You know? Huh. Which, like, Chris Ryan, uh, he interpreted it as wasteful. Yeah. Because you got all this noise, you got all these lights, you're burning gasoline, you got flamethrowers coming off vehicles and stuff. He's just like, man, it's just too much, you yeah. know? It's too big. Uh, but then you got other people who are like big time players and it's completely changing the way that they view the world, you know, right. to where maybe, maybe the, 
like you sacrifice that amount of fuel or whatever for that one moment and it decreases the amount you use throughout the year. So yeah. I don't know exactly, but yeah, um, I think that's a good point. It's like, so, so my question, I guess is, uh, which burning man did you experience? Uh, I went 20, 15 and 16. Uh, my brother has gone like eight years and so he kind of oh, got really? our family into it. Yeah. Um, my mom ended up going with me as well, uh, which is quite f- interesting. That um, is interesting. Yeah, she's, you know, she's open, very open-minded, and she, and she wanted to see what my brother, you know, found so moving about it. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, Burning Man is wasteful, in a sense. I mean, it definitely expends a lot of resources. Um, but they also pick up all their trash too, right? They, yeah, I mean, they, they have, have high standards. Money. Yeah. Which actually makes it probably even more expensive or wasteful to execute. But uh, I kind of agree with the second person you mentioned. I think that the potential mental and cultural changes that can happen at Burning Man are very necessary or, or, you know, very useful really for society. So I, I'm still a fan, definitely. And also, I mean, you know, with anything, any art project that you have, I mean, some certain people are good at using reclaimed resources. And actually at Burning Man, a lot of the wooden structures, they use like kind of, you know, throw-offs of other cut wooden structures. And they use those throw-offs to then make these temples oh, and make cool. these wooden structures. So there is some work towards that. But at the same time, I mean, any producing anything creates some waste. And uh, I think... As a society, we just need to get better at turning all of our wastes into mm. usable products next time. But yeah, so Burning Man, uh, you know, it's an arts festival in the desert of Nevada. And it, um, uh, you know, it started out, I think, with maybe, I don't know, like 100 people or something on the beach of San Francisco. And now it's moved to, I think, 70,000 plus. Um, and it's a whole city i mean it's just it's it's very kind and of it crazy. just like pops up in the middle of nowhere right? right like i was talking uh one of the other guys i was talking about that went there yeah said he's like literally i rode my bike all day every day and yeah. there was like entire sections i didn't see yeah he was like he said it was just massive totally. you know and everywhere you go it's just like every corner it's like i never thought i would see that Whatever yeah. that is, I never thought I would see that. You no, know, it's we, true. It's it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's also wild. interesting because the whole thing is motivated, a by people who really enjoy their experience there, and then b by something that they feel like compelled to provide. I mean, sometimes that's really simple, like uh, you know, just providing a bar and music, uh, or sometimes that's more elaborate, like um, you know, creating. <laughs> Uh, there's a, a neighborhood of Burning Man called the Charcade, where they like have all these different games that involve lots of flames and flamethrowers and like there was one I don't know if it's been there every year but it was called Dance Dance Immolation and immolation is like where monks set themselves on fire and oh, shit. so you'd literally like do the dance dance um, like revolution revolution the game? thank you game <laughs> and then whoever wins you'd be wearing lights a, a heat suit on but fire. you get a flamethrower that burns you so like so oh, that is ridiculous it kind of begs people to ask the question well if people were not going to shoot down your crazy ideas A if they were going to support whatever random things come to your head 
if depending on how good your idea budget wasn't the biggest question either what can you create and people can create some pretty crazy oh, things oh yeah they can create some crazy things super inspirational and then another great thing about burning man uh, i think you've mentioned this somewhat you know maybe with your group of people uh, that you really like meeting with uh, you know burning man you generally especially more and more nowadays there used to be a lot more kind of nomads but now a lot of the tickets are distributed in, in camps so you generally find yourself in a camp with 20 to 100 to 400 maybe other people and so that sort of becomes like a mini tribe that you sort of rely on for fun for security for you know friendship everything um, and I don't know, there's something really, really beautiful about that kind of pattern of interaction of just like working together on projects, um, you know, working on, working together sort of against the, the winds and the dust and everything else yeah. and just kind of like supporting one another, sometimes getting angry at one another, like all these different things. Um, so, I don't know, it's, it's pretty unique because they have their 10 rules or their 10 guidelines, 10 guiding principles, um, which kind of make it pretty different from a normal festival. And they have a lot of people who have really been transformed by those, by that culture. And so they really like sort of uphold it in the Burning Man environment. Um, and there's a lot of drugs as well, which can help open your mind. Sometimes they can make you unhappy too. I mean, yeah. it's not always a panacea, but you definitely, you know, have some experiences of things that you didn't know was possible, I think, maybe. Mm, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you, do you follow maps? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Can you define it again? I forget what, what Man, it stands I'm, for. Man, I can't remember ever what the, but it's like the m multiple association of psychedelic studies, yeah. I think, or it's something like that. It's basically like scientists and... Yeah, it's and, Rick, Rick Doblin is like okay. the guy who's like heading it all up and yeah. he's... They're all going through like FDA trials. They're they're right. Which that's what never has made sense to me is okay. Uh, morphine is dangerous, right? You know, like oxycotton is dangerous. Uh, all these drugs are very dangerous. I'm not saying they should be. Nobody should ever take them. I'm just saying they're very dangerous and they're highly regulated. So why why are psychedelics in this other category where it's they're so dangerous that they can't be even medically. I mean, I'm talking with trained professionals. These, sure. you know, a lot of these scientists and, and therapists, they work, that, that's their life work right. is right. to heal people, not make them worse, you know. Uh, at least give them the option of studying it and working with it, you know. And that's what I think is cool about MAPS. And, and they're focusing mostly on veterans, which is interesting mm -hmm. because that's, that's the uh, largest pool of uh, our concentration of like PTSD. Totally. So like, hey, let's help just the soldiers and we'll have a huge pool of PTSD that we can try to heal or fix yeah. or, you know, study. No, I totally agree. But um, I think to go back to your question, I think part of it maybe comes down to power and money because I think there's, you know, there was some precedent for these drugs previously being able to help alleviate pain. It has a sort of clear... Uh, function and it has a clear protocol I feel like hallucinogens are a little more mysterious at times and 
and also I would say certain ones like ayahuasca or iboga or other ones like <clears throat> you can administer them in a clinical environment and that's totally sound way to do it uh, but also like many people would say well really you should be culturally attuned and you should maybe like get that knowledge from a shaman so in some ways I mean, you can still pay for shamans, and people do, and I think there's good reason for that. But at the same time, it's sort of outside of the normal economic system, you know? Yeah. And I think that's one reason, for example, why, I mean, literally, like, pharmaceutical companies are, <clears throat> they are trying to patent um, or trying to create pills that are uh, generic or, or that are, you know, synthetic forms of marijuana at the same time that they are trying to block regulation or, or block ex adoption of marijuana legalization so that they can retain control of that intermediary. So I think a lot of it is sort of Power giving boys. up. Yeah, just, just giving up, not allowing humans to just have one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, or, or smaller forms of institutional power mm. interfacing between them and the plants. Interesting. You know? So, I mean... I'm not super conspiratorial, I, but I think that that stuff's pretty well documented, like just in the way that they, these companies uh, bring suits to file, you know, yeah. and you follow the lawyers and they'll tell you what's going on. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. Um, yeah, that's crazy, man. But yeah, I think the other thing that's sort of at question and maybe at risk with entheogens, and I will say once again, I mean, I've gotten a lot out of them, but they haven't really like... I, I kind of for a long time hoped that they would solve my psychological riddles. Now, I will say that they've helped a lot, but I think that there's many different modalities, you know, talk therapy, um, meditation, meditation, absolutely, uh, entheogens, you know, or even just like strong friendships with people yeah. who are really good at listening and hearing and, and reflecting. I mean, all these different things I think can be really useful. But I think what's one other thing that's kind of a, <laughs> at play with entheogens is that they really do allow you to see or think about a world much bigger than you could have imagined and and sort of have a direct experience of God and all these different things that are pretty outside of the normal mainstream idea of what society and a human being is about, you know? Yeah, and see, this is actually kind of leads me into my next uh, bullet point, which is like, so... I've been playing around with this idea recently that science and religion need to, like, start talking, mm -hmm. start passing notes back and forth. Yeah. And because I think that what you're talking about is the religious experience. Yeah. So you need to have this diet, you know? You need to have this work ethic. Like, you need to view the world in a religious sense, right? You have to have purpose. Yeah. And then, but... Science tells us all these other like useful tools as well totally. that, to to manipulate. So, for instance, a schizophrenic mind might have a different brain scan than a non-schizophrenic mind. So, not to say that the schizophrenic mind is broken, mm -hmm. but the schizophrenic mind is not going to operate in the same way that the normal mind. Yeah. You have to slightly tailor the environment to like fit that particular person. Right. You know. Um, so, but see, like, I think that that's the point of religion is the point of having uh, an entire society connected into this, like, uh, process of speaking to older people, speaking to adults, talking about your problems, talk, you know, like you were saying, speak and, 
and they then they also say pray which is meditate you know like they so they're incorporating all of these modalities that are now being proven yeah. by society to have an effect physiologically whether it's uh, placebo is like type thing or not you know the the mind does work through the body if yeah. you believe something you know yeah. no totally um but the the problem is the scientists aren't willing to come to the little bit of the paranormal uh direction yeah. and then the paranormal the religions aren't willing to come a little bit towards the scientific like edge and so what you end up having is two opposing worldviews right. where you have things that will help you in both yeah. but you're not allowed to pay attention to one and the other you have to pick one side or the other no, that's you know? a great point yeah um and i think that that's like the that's i don't think conspiratorially this happened but civilization has taken all these different tools and ripped them into different pieces and and then they segment and then they like calcify mm -hmm. and they oppose each other right you know and so that's kind of like my thing is that i i feel like it's more of a goop versus an a, you know it's right. like inside the, yeah yeah i don't know yeah i mean i think that goes back to the nature of the mind like if you've defined yourself in any way i think so much of learning and growing is like, like let's say even as a fireman, you adopt certain ways of viewing the world and thinking about danger and risk and houses and everything. Yeah. And then, and that's like part of your worldview and it's part of your personality. And then if someone comes along and says, well, actually, there's this whole other way to look at it and you need to like really question all of your assumptions on that, um, you know, and maybe that guy's actually pushing it a little too far and isn't looking at the wisdom that you've gained. It's just so hard for our minds, I think, to be really broad enough to say yes to so many more things. You know what I mean? To really like accept the wisdom in everything and, and try to discern what's the... The bullshit. What's the bullshit in yeah, everything. Like you know? cut through... Because that's the thing is uh, I might say a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Half of what I always say should be considered bullshit. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. not to say that I'm an idiot, yeah. but... Even the smartest people in the world, like you have Albert Einstein. Right. I guarantee you, if you were Albert Einstein's friend, over half the time would be said, like, dude, let's cut the bullshit, man. <laughs> like, what are you talking about here? Right. You know, like my wife says that to me all the time. I'll get on like a, uh, like a kick, like I'll be talking about a short story or something. Yeah. And she'll just, hey, folks, what's the point? What's the point of this? Like, wait, you know, what are you doing? Right. What are you doing? So, um, have shit. you written any of your short stories yet? Have I written them? Yeah. I've got two up on my website. Oh, cool. I've got the uh, Fine Dining Bum. Okay. And I've got uh, this other one I wrote for a, um, I wrote it for like this competition, the X Prize. Okay. And it was a passenger like 23 or something like that. You had to pretend like you fell asleep on a plane. Okay. And it was, when it landed, it was like 20 years in the future. Oh, nice. And you had to like paint the future in like an optimistic light. You couldn't mm. write like a, a dystopian. You yeah. had to write like a, an actual like positive view or whatever. Nice. And yeah. So I've got those two up and I've got a couple others that are about halfway finished. Yeah. But I had this creative writing class. So. Cool. I kind of segued yeah. and stopped working on the stuff that I was working on. To, to largely, I feel like, I mean, it's it's difficult. I've never written poetry before, mm -hmm. and I've never written a, a play, but now mm -hmm. I'm still working on the play. Cool. So, it's been pretty fun. It's, uh, it's, I've always liked writing, but it was like one of those things, like I just never, 
I always thought there was a difference between being a rider and being me. Okay. Like, I was like, I can't be a rider. Right. Like, riders have something special, you know? Right. Like, Hemingway was just this special person. Like, right. just write, you know? Mm-hmm. And I always, like, saw, like, a wall between right. me and them or me or it, me or anybody. It's like, no, I can't really write. Yeah. But then I started thinking about it, and it's like, what is it? I can write. I can put, like, a some sentences together and publish them, whatever that right. means, right. you know? Like, go for it, I guess, but... Um, all right. Well, we are at 44 minutes. It is 4.55. Yeah. So we got, uh, one more time for, well, actually I'll just, uh, what, what, Oh, go ahead. You got, so I've got risk to benefit of a healthy life, Yeah. which, uh, I kind of think we might've touched on like barely, Mm -hmm. but, um, I'm going to have to save that for the next one because I think that would be a pretty big topic. Okay. I think it could go on for a while, mm. and I wouldn't want to cut it short. I feel like we would need to cut it short, Yeah. but I don't feel like I'd want to. So the other thing is uh, this is – I didn't really have time to write this into a question form. Okay. But the question was going to be like a masterpiece. Is it relevant mm. to the scope of the overall work? So uh, like – for instance, like Da Vinci. Yep. Now, if he drew that, let's just say he's sitting in a classroom in Southside Amarillo, yep. and he drew one of those pictures. Right. The same picture, maybe. Would it be considered a masterpiece coming from that kid, or or like a Picasso drawing or something? You know, right. like coming from Picasso, it's a masterpiece. But coming from some random kid in Amarillo, Texas, ah, eh, it's just some decent work. Right. You know. So like that was my question. Is like is a, a master I almost feel like masterpieces can only be defined post completion of work so after you die kind of like okay you're done putting out work right. this is your scope of work and within this scope of work wow the Mona Lisa was pretty pivotal right. <laughs> you know or like Picasso you know you killed it with this um, it's a good question I don't know I think part of it comes from like the scope of personality, like I think, you know, Picasso started out, I think, being able to draw like really lifelike paintings at like seven and eight. You oh, know? dude, he was a prodigy, like to the nth right. degree, man. And then he started working into these other things. So I think Picasso, part of his whole thing was the fact that he evolved so much as an artist and got to this form that was quite radical and new, and that he could continue to develop that and like create beautiful works with that you know because I think so people already had knew his reputation in a sense knew that he could create different kinds of beautiful work and then you know of that some I think some of the things were masterpieces so I think if that kid just created something beautiful and amazing I think people would be like wow maybe some people would see the beauty but without having I don't know maybe like a clearer sense of that kid's character and ability to produce these things as part of his life. I don't know if they would see it in the same way. You know what I mean? It's kind yeah. of like building up a reputation of yourself. Well, see, it's like the one-hit wonder, you know, of right. the 90s. Like, there's all these one-hit wonders that put out one song <clears throat> yeah. that was, like, literally like, oh, that was that's it. We don't right. need anything else from that band. That's right. it, you know? Like, yeah. you can keep making music, but yeah. the only thing we need is this one hit, you know? Right. Like, that's kind of crazy to... I've always wondered, like, how would Picasso have, like dealt if he was a superstar by 18 
And then, like, the rest of his life, they were like, eh, he's not as good as he was when he was 18. Yeah. You know? It's It's really hard. I think it's really hard to keep staying relevant as artists. I mean, I'm just talking about uh, some bands and groups I like, like um, Vampire Weekend, LCD Sound System, and uh, Arcade Fire. Yeah. Uh, I've played some Arcade Fire on the podcast. Maybe maybe, uh, Vampire Weekend, I think, is maybe doing the best, but, like, the last Arcade Fire... And the LC Sound System album, I thought they were only okay, like not as good as some of their other stuff. It felt a little bit more like they were kind of replaying some of their forms and, yeah. and motifs. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really hard, I think, to balance who you are and then still growing through into new You know what's also crazy, though, song. about some of the, like Wilco, yeah. for instance? The first time I listened to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I yeah. didn't get it. Right. I didn't get it, man. Like, I listened. It's a good point. We listened to the entire album, and I was just like, I just don't get it. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't know. Uh, I guess it's good. A lot of my friends who like good music think it's good, so yeah. I bet it's good. Yeah. But it's like, oh, I just don't get it, you know? And then now I listen to it, and it's like, holy shit, man. These guys are gods. Like, they they crafted the perfect album yeah. from with these weird ass sounds and this soundscape it's just beautiful yeah but i didn't get it at the time same thing with kendrick lamar favorite rapper now okay but back in the day i listened to um good kid mad city Mm -hmm. and i can't remember which song i heard off of that first and i was like "Eh, i don't know i just don't get it but then i listened to him later and it's like everything i listen to of his i love yeah you know so it is kind of interesting how like bands like the arcade fire or modest mouse or all these different bands they put they put the album out but it's it's with space that you can that you can listen to it like you can't listen to it fast you have to like give it get listen to it give it 6 months maybe listen to it again give right. it 6 months yeah. listen to it a year later and right. then it's like oh okay now i'm hearing it you know it takes time to to yeah. process into the into the stream but <clears throat> all right man we're at we're at 501 i only had this place reserved until 5 o'clock so okay. technically we are squatting at this point they could kick us out at any point in time okay but I'm going to end this podcast with a song by Hayden Pedigo. Oh, cool. Uh, Greetings from Amarillo. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's, which is, I guess it's his most popular song here on, here on iTunes. But, um, so this is Hayden Pedigo. Is that Pedigo, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, the album's called Greetings from Amarillo, 2007, June 9th, 2017. And this song is called Greetings from Amarillo. I hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining me. Uh, And until next time, peace.